This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show here on the 19th of September. Bob, this is the last week of summer officially as fall begins on uh, Saturday. Well, you didn't have to remind me of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, beautiful fall morning in the Northland. Obviously, we get some color. Maybe we can talk about that a little yeah. bit later in the program because uh, some places are magnificent. And actually, what I've seen is a little bit farther south, I think, because of the strut the trees are there, and they're actually coloring up a little faster. Normally, there's this progression from south to north, and some areas were so such a great deficit during the growing period in terms of moisture that we're seeing a little of that stress effect, which breaks down the chlorophyll earlier, and the colors begin to come a little earlier. But we're still producing some of the anthocyanins with these bright days. So this bright days, cool nights, uh, that's going to bring on some really beautiful color. And uh, we're in the Northland here just about on schedule, a little farther south. I think they're a little ahead of schedule. So it'll be kind of interesting to see as this wraps up uh, really a very interesting and a beautiful, uh, in many ways, a very very good growing season, Dave. Yep, and the colors, you can always find out more at the uh, DNR website. They kind of keep track of where the areas are, are spectacular and where they're not. Yeah, that's very true. You can use that as a guide and then go out there and uh, peel up your own eye- eyelids. Because <laughs> oftentimes it's very interesting. There are pockets there, just like there are pockets of uh, moisture one one location or another. And uh, you can see it even uh, you on one 40-acre piece of property where one area may be a little lower. And uh, the tree's got a little bit more moisture, so that's going to keep the chlorophyll going a little longer. Then they'll be delayed a little bit. Up on edges is where it got dry and we ran a lot of water off. And those colors will actually show up just a little bit earlier. And uh, but I think they're going to be vivid and they're going to be bright this year. So that really that puts a little exclamation point on fall. And uh, for many many folks, I know this is a uh, a favorite time of the year for them. It looks like we're going to have at least some good weather. You you mentioned we were talking earlier, no uh, frost in the forecast. Is that right, Dave? None that I see at this point. But we did have frost in some areas last week. I remember. Yes, we did, and mm-hmm. I had covered an area. I've got a little low pocket, and we frosted oh. there, so uh, I'm glad I had things covered in that particular situation. We always want to try to get through that first uh, first frost, and oftentimes we can get warmer temperatures from that point on. Certainly getting into the harvesting season, though, now, I bet. Big time, and you know uh, what's nice about no frost in the forecast, and we always have our fingers crossed because long-range forecasts can change very, very quickly, mm-hmm. but uh, without any frost the forecast. Uh, we're going to rape a lot of tomatoes. A lot of these uh, crops were delayed a little bit this year. I think that was mostly related to uh, to water and to moisture. You know, you mentioned the fact that we've got uh, rain in the forecast coming in the weekend. Now, we're still at a deficit, uh, I believe. You you track those figures pretty closely. Uh, since, since January, we are 1.66 inches below normal in precipitation. Yeah, we're coming, uh, we're coming up, uh, and that's very good news. You know, it's very interesting. We had, of course, uh, we set record snowfall in the Duluth area right. last uh, winter, uh, coming into March, and then we went uh, May and June to the driest May and June we'd ever had. And uh, actually, that moisture, because we didn't have frost in the ground, didn't run off, it ran into the uh, soil. And actually, this is what saved a lot of our crops. I know in my situation, if I got in early, and in, in some cases, most cases, I actually had to had to drive that taproot a lot of these plants down a little deeper where that moisture was. So I was uh, carrying water over the top, irrigating over the top, with the intention of getting down into that uh, that stratified zone, soil zone, where there was moisture. Planted 
sweet corn deep and deeper than you normally would. We'd usually go an inch and a half. I was down two and a half, three inches with the intention of driving those roots down and having them seek that moisture that I knew was down there because you could take a soil probe and it was just sitting there from the snow melt. And actually that was uh, that was very successful. So anything with large tap roots, uh, we managed to get down into that, uh, that watery area. So I think paying attention to moisture in the soil profile can be significant. The fact that we've got moisture coming now, we're still at a deficit. We really want to build that because uh, that can be certainly helpful next spring. You know, it's kind of interesting. We've, uh, we're have we coming into the fall, and I'm already, already looking ahead to next spring and, and certain, certain strategies that we use to grow just a little bit better. You know, Dave, if I can mention, I've got some of the um, summer climate stats uh, just pulled together from the uh, National Weather Service. And sure. during what we call our meteorological summer, that's May through um, actually, May through June, uh, that particular period, uh, we were really uh, very, very in deficit. As I mentioned, we were seven and a half inches below normal during that May-June period. We knew that was very dry. But during the what I'll call the uh, meteorological summer, June, July, and August, at that point, by and a lot of the growing, now we're still growing things, but uh, because the light is available during this time, this is where most of the growth occurs, and we're just kind of wrapping things up right now. We're ripening and we're finishing up some of the fruiting, but obviously uh, temperatures are cooler, daylight's slowing down, and uh, consequently a lot of the growth has already occurred. But the big, big three growing months, June, July, and August, we were still in a significant deficit at that particular time. So uh, even when we get um, eliminate May and June, we were still very dry, and I'm not telling people anything here. I know that anyone that was gardening certainly experienced that. We had, uh, if you've seen some of the drought maps, um, we had the epicenter of the drought, I think, um, just a little bit farther south of Luth, down in the Carlton area. I know we got a lot of good gardeners, farmers in that area, and, boy, pastures were dry. It was uh, it was pretty brutal, and that was the kind of the epicenter of the, uh, the the droughty conditions in northeast Minnesota. We also had a pocket down in southeast Minnesota. But a lot of our listeners uh, know what I'm talking about, so uh, making sure that uh, you've got water available for gardening needs is, is probably going to be critical going forward. I think uh, climate talks are going to be uh, a part of the discussion for a long time going into the future here, Dave. Yeah, even though the airport is in deficit 1.66 inches, uh, they only got a little over an inch during that big storm last week where some places ended up with three up to six inches of rain, and depending upon where you were. Well, I know that. It was so variable, and right. I think we can kind of expect a little bit of this. We can expect... Uh, what they call rainfall events. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's more moisture being pulled up into the atmosphere, and it's going to come down someplace. It doesn't come down evenly, unfortunately. So I know we got listeners where we're talking about the Carlton area, Cloquet area being very, very dry. I know we've got listeners in the Hibbing area that are saying, what are you talking about? We had <laughs> so much moisture, we couldn't get our hay up and everything else. So it was very variable. And as you point out, Dave, even around the Duluth area, right. there were people that talked about getting an inch and half of rain, and other folks talking about getting half to three-quarters of an inch. So uh, it was uh, highly variable, and I think we can expect uh, some of this going forward. Nonetheless, that doesn't mean we didn't have a good growing season. We, If you had managed uh, to get some moisture to your crops, get those roots down, or some form of irrigation, even as limited as using uh, whatever rain barrels you might have and uh, carrying water, and a lot of people had to do that, but just getting uh, moisture to the plants at real critical times produced uh, some real interesting growing results because we had... Uh, Warmer temperatures without being extreme. We really don't like the extreme temperatures. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the month of July, 
uh, our temperatures uh, were a little bit below normal. Hmm. And with all the discussion and all the heat we heard about the southwest, the month of July, which is typically our hottest, uh, we had uh, our average maximum temperature was about 76 degrees normally. It'd be over 77, 77.7. So actually, during our hottest month, we were 1.1 degrees below average. So that's rather remarkable. And then uh, evening temperatures, even in July, were dipping down into the mid-50s. And that was uh, cooler than normal, um, below 55 there. So our hottest month turned out to be below normal in terms of temperatures. So, and we heard about that, all the folks driving up from the cities to get away from the heat, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talking about 98, 9900 degrees down there, and they'd hit uh, the Duluth area to be 60 degrees. So we really... Uh, we really uh, did pretty well this year, and the bright sunlight, I think, that with adequate moisture produced some surprisingly good crops, uh, very, very large crops. We've got very large beets, cauliflower, you name it. Uh, I've got kohlrabi that are going about 12 pounds, which is hard to imagine. But wow. a lot of the, um, a lot of these crops that were in from the springtime and we had moisture for them were getting uh, uh, remarkably large, uh, large crops, and this was the bright sunlight along with... Uh, Warm temperatures, but not extreme. When we get into the extremes, uh, you get 90, 95 degrees, a lot of that plant begins to shut down. So actually, we like these mid-70s. And let me give you an example, uh, just a little bit from the weather data again. The average time temperature during June was 74.4, during July 76.6, during August 76.1. So if I were to target temperatures that I'd really like to be consistent, I would say low to mid-70s, and during the day at least, I dipped down at night, it was cooler. Now that does preserve colors, it preserves sugar content, so we can produce some very high quality uh, crops. But uh, if I had daytime temperatures, uh, my druthers, they were just about right on the button. So where we're always making excuses for the fact that we have this very, very difficult uh, season, we have a short season compared to other places, frost to frost. But certainly, I think uh, the weather data pointed out the fact that we really uh, we can grow some spectacular things. There's no need to apologize any longer. And I think if you take a look at the benches down at the farmers market, they are just loaded with uh, with product and, and very very high uh, quality warm season crops: tomatoes, peppers, uh, corn, and so forth. Crops have come in for us. They're a little late always, but uh, they've been really very very good year this year. And I think some of the weather data. Uh, does support the fact that we've got uh, very good optimal uh, daytime temperatures during our summer growing months, Steve. We saved all of our hot weather until September when we ended up with those 90-degree temps at the beginning of the month. That's very, very true. And uh, we had the warmer temperatures, and now we're getting some of the rainfall. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be kind of interesting, as often is the case. It's probably going to turn out when all the statistics get in uh, (laughs) to be an average growing season. There you go. The averages the always average, went out. The averages went out, yeah. but uh, sometimes it doesn't always tell the whole picture, does it? <laughs> All right, 928, we'll take a break. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up on KDAL. And we're back with Bob Olin Show here on the 19th of uh, September. Bob, besides the weather, another thing gardeners have to worry about, obviously, is bugs. And apparently there is a new invasive species in Minnesota. Krista Menzel was in her backyard in St. Paul when she noticed some odd-looking bugs, recorded photos, and sent them to the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, found out the insects are called Asiatic garden beetles. Uh, the photos were first documented sightings of those beetles in the state. Uh, not known at this point what effect it might have on uh, uh, crops in Minnesota, but there you go, the Asiatic garden beetle. 
Well, I'm not sure, so sure that's so great. We know I don't know. <laughs> the Lady Beatles, we do know that things, uh, things are going to change, and, mm-hmm. and they do change. And there's obviously a lot of uh, movement of insects. They can get around pretty, uh, pretty quickly, pretty easily. You know, it takes me back to, uh, in uh, St. Louis County here, uh, the chinch bug, which I didn't get a lot of reports that I thought hot and dry. We might have had yeah. more chinch bug issues, which is going to be a very devastating beetle that takes out uh, a lot of uh, lawn tissue, a lot of the underground uh, rhizomes and stolons and bluegrass. They attack pretty aggressively. But um, we found some up in the Hibbing area, and I had not seen this insect before, and they look like chinch bugs. They're rather distinctive. They're a small beetle, but they've got a uh, a very uh, light-colored beige band across their wing covers, uh, across their back, so they're pretty easy to identify. They're small, but you got to take a look at them, but they have that distinguishing characteristic. Saw these. They look like a chinch bug to me. Checked with one of our state entomologists. Said it can't be. We don't have them in Minnesota. And I sent him a sample, and by the way, it went in, <laughs> it went in their collection as well yeah. as the first chinch bug. And of course, they've spread there. Uh, they had some pretty heavy infestations down along the lower Great Lakes in the Ohio-Indiana area. And uh, the thought is possibly, you know, we're moving a lot of ore between uh, the Iron Range and down in the steel mills, and it could be that those bugs came back on some of our freighters. But how they wound up in Hibbing is the first place to be identified in Minnesota. I'm not really sure, but that's a possibility. So, yeah, insects, it's kind of interesting. We didn't have, uh, we didn't have major insect problems. We're always going to have some. Uh, you know, you've got your Harrelson apples. Are they ripening up for you, Dave, at this point? Yeah, taking their time, and there's not that many of them, and they're pretty small yet, too. So we'll have they're to see small. how they how they, how they go. Yeah, apples, of course, many of them have an alternate bearing mm-hmm. habit to them, so you're going to have heavy ears and light ears. Uh, we are beginning to see some good color on many of the uh, varieties out there. And, you know, one that's caught my attention, University of Minnesota Introduction Zest, that's one you might want to take a look at. Those apples are really nice. Uh, it's got Honeycrisp parentage. I think it's a little hardier than Honeycrisp, which uh, for those of us uh, north of Zone 4, and if you don't have a lake effect where you happen to be planting your trees, you must certainly look for Zone 3 apples. And uh, Honeycrisp was actually introduced as a Zone 4, and uh, freezer studies indicated that over time uh, it will not be as uh, durable as many of the other species, such as your Harrelson, Harold Red. Everyone would love to grow Honeycrisp, and the great thing is that genetics has uh, led to so many new introductions. Uh, Sweet Tango, First Kiss, there's a couple that come to mind that are uh, being uh, developed into the commercial trade now, but certainly Honeycrisp and Zestar, formerly known as Zesta, but I guess uh, there's a, a saltine cracker with that name. So, oh, really? <laughs> yes, the, uh, the university thought about that uh, very directly, so they had to make a name change. But uh-huh. I think Zestar, in many ways, is a better name for that apple so it uh, doesn't quite get the recognition it uh, it's got a kind of a nice uh, pink blush to it very nice apple size so it's one that people might want to might want to take a look at uh, they're probably for fall planting if you want to get some apples in it's not too late you can certainly do some fall planting this is the only time of year when I really recommend that you uh, support them with some guy wires uh, in the early part of the year, put them in the ground. They can swing in the breeze, the tree, and the, the roots are getting established. Right now, uh, you got a root ball. They've been growing in a container if you uh, get stock right now. And, uh, you know, it, there isn't a lot of time left to establish the roots, and you want a wind to pop them out of the ground before those roots are established. So uh, using guide wires right now, be a little careful if you're using 
any kind of a, a tight material, like a braided uh, string or a wire. Uh, use uh, something like a uh, piece of garden hose, slick mm-hmm. garden hose, so that it, anything that comes in contact with the bark or maybe a fiber band or something, so you don't want anything that cuts into that very thin outer layer of the bark, but you can stake it two or three ways and uh, let it go through the winter, maybe well into next year's growing season. Make sure you get those guide wires off, and I've uh, worked with some of the municipalities. I'll see guide wires on trees that are three and four years old. Uh, this only weakens the tree. You want them to be sure that they blow in the wind so this develops structural strength. But if you're going to plant trees, any deciduous tree right now, this would be the time of year. Deer protection, of course, fencing there because the deer are getting very aggressive. Populations are high. Fencing, but also the good wires right now uh, to make sure that that tree stays in place through the winter, but there certainly is enough time to get them established in the early fall like this, Dave. Yeah, and protect the bark, too, I would imagine, with uh, some collars or something around the bottom. Yeah, it's always a good idea, and I'm a big fan of uh, mm-hmm. just buying a drain tile, this plastic drain tile. Don't worry about the fact that it's black. You can buy a uh, nursery stock, which is white, which reflects the sun. But the big thing is as long as there's an air gap between that right. black uh, plastic piping that you're going to put in there and the stem itself. Now, you have to be a little careful, and I've made this mistake myself on a good site. Uh, deciduous trees can grow very rapidly, mm-hmm. and that uh, the diameter of the tree, of course, expands. There's only two growing points on a on a tree like that. One is right on the expansion of the actual diameter, or what we call the caliber of the tree. You never want that to come in contact with the black plastic. Then you have heat and you have moisture that's being trapped inside there, and that can be very detrimental to establishing a quality bark. So uh, let them go for a couple years. Check them as soon as that air gap uh, looks like it's, uh, it's closing. I would take those off even a little early. You'd like to get about four or five years of good growth on a deciduous tree for that bark mm-hmm. to actually toughen up, and then this prevents it from being exposed to rodents as well as uh, sun scald in the late winter months. So they definitely need protection. If you want to use a tree wrap, you can wrap them in the fall. It has to come off in the spring, but you can use a asphalt-impregnated tree wrap as well uh, to protect from, uh, in particular, the voles. We get a heavy snow year, and these field mice voles will actually... Uh, sit right under the snow, and they cru- they must cruise around all over the place under that snow layer <laughs> because I wonder what that's like. Yeah. That can't be all that easy. All <laughs> superhighways under the under the snow. They really are. You'll see the tracks on the grass, and all of a sudden they'll find a nice tender apple tree that you just put in that wasn't decked. They'll zip it all the way around, and then for all practical purposes, uh, that's the end of that tree, and you're going to have to have to plant again. So definitely protection protect the main stem and do it right and do it at the time and get that deer fed and at the time you plant it because I swear I've had this experience where you're I planted one evening a nice beautiful tree and I didn't get it fenced off I'll do it in the morning it was dark oh boy. and by jingo the deer found it they must have been watching me and there you go. Uh, made a real mess out of that tree so Bob anyway. let's uh, take a break and get to the uh, uh, phones and find out what's going on hi yeah, who's absolutely. this this is Barb in Duluth go ahead Barb I have a question. I have discovered a lot of little clumps of what looks like upside-down cups, like a pea would fit in. They're small little cups in clusters. What are those? Uh, where are we? Are we talking about the flower gardens? Are we talking about open soil? Vegetables. Are we talking about turf? Vegetables. In vegetables. Yeah, in my beans and uh, my tomatoes. Okay, is it on the fruit, is it on the plant, is it on the soil? Where are these cups? It's on the soil. 
salt on the soil. Okay. Uh, are you beginning to see, are you seeing little piles of soil there then? No, not really. Just clusters of these cup things. Well, I, I think of uh, some of our earthworms. Uh, uh, that would be the first thing that comes to mind, particularly if it's been dry and then suddenly we get this surge of moisture. And um, and that's what we had over the last couple of days. I, I think that's probably what you're looking at uh, there at this time of year. Uh, we have some other uh, uh, larger soil insects that can cause some of that. The other issue, it could be, if you're seeing that, uh, it could be skunk damage. They're out there foraging for some of these insect uh, uh, pupa that are down in the soil too. So, uh, depending on the size of it, uh, if they're bigger cup areas, two to three inches across, I would assume it might be just uh, might be skunks in the area that are foraging for some of these uh, insects that are working their way in the soil this time of year for protection from the winter. So, larger areas, I, th I think it probably is skunk. Uh, smaller areas, uh, perhaps earthworms. Okay. I shouldn't worry about them. I wouldn't worry about them. No, I don't think this time of year they're going to do any damage. Uh, they're probably aerating the soil a little bit for you anyway. There you go. That's what yeah. I want. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Interesting question. We are seeing on, on turf areas, I'm getting a lot of calls from people oh. about skunk damage as well, where pockets like this are being of turf are actually being upended, uprooted, and up on the soil surface, Steve. All right, we'll take another break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up here on KDAL. And we're back more with the Bob Olin Show, and uh, Gail is on the phone. Morning, Gail. Good morning. What do you got uh, for Bob? Well, I've got one grapevine in the backyard, and I believe I have black rot. My question is, can I still use the grapes, or should I dispose of them? You know, it's going to be a quality issue for you. I don't think there's a, a significant uh, disease risk, but uh, oftentimes... Uh, when the quality isn't there, uh, you're going to find that uh, whether you make jams, jellies, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, they're just not a high quality. The sugar isn't there and so forth. So uh, try a little bit and see uh, see how they taste. Uh, and, you know, do you make uh, juice out of them or do you make uh, jelly out of them or what are you using them for? I make jam, but I, I just use the pulp. I don't use the skin. Of course, I don't use the seeds. Yeah, and... Uh, are they juicy enough, or do you have kind of a mummy berry effect? Yeah, well, mummy berry effect. Yeah. So, again, it's going to be a quality issue. I'd say try a small batch. Not going to hurt anything, but uh, if you've got a lot of obvious um, uh, spores, in other words, are you seeing any kind of a white powder or anything on mm -hmm. the uh, on the fruit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are. It looks like rust to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my thought on anything like that is to uh, update them. If you're seeing the actual spores, uh, and I don't know specifically on grapes, but uh, I like to stay away from any kind of a fungi that's producing spores like that. So my advice is if, if it has affected the fruit right there, I probably would not be using it or processing it. Okay. Should I cut all of the grapes off the vine this year? And toss them? or Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad idea. We've obviously got spores, as you indicated, on the fruit itself. So I would uh, I'd get it into a compost pile. Are you a composter by chance? Yes. Compost? Okay, mm -hmm. great. Uh, you don't want them on the top of the pile. You want them deep in the pile. You want to, and, and boy, it'd be a good topic. We should perhaps spend a few moments on uh, proper composting techniques. But you want to run a what we call a hot pile, hot uh, compost pile. So... Uh, build, the, build the pile, get it aerated. Uh, oftentimes we need a little additional nitrogen there. 
so green plant tissue or uh, even a synthetic lawn fertilizer without herbicide will give you nitrogen. So uh, get them deep in the pile, run the pile hot, and that will destroy the spores for you. But oh, okay. ra- rather than just letting them sit, that only builds uh, for next year. They, they're pretty uh, weather tolerant, so we, we don't want them particularly sitting under the snow and causing a problem. But deep in the pile, even if they don't, uh, if you're not hot enough, they don't get disposed of, uh, those spores won't be blowing in the wind for you. Okay? Okay, very good. Hey, thanks good for the question. question. Appreciate it. Yeah. 948, are grapes a big crop around here? That's kind of surprising to me. Well, uh, I think juice grapes, we've got some great varieties, Valiant being one that uh, produces really nicely, and I think people should take a look at that. Uh, Bluebell's another one. We've got about uh, three varieties, Uh, although some people do make wine out of them. I guess Mm -hmm. you can make wine out of most any uh, grapefruit, but I guess the wine connoisseurs tell me it's not what they consider a a good table wine. Other people tell me it's it's pretty good played with that, but uh, we can grow some pretty good grapes. We've seen some Japanese beetle coming up from the cities. You talk oh, about boy. insects. We've yeah. seen some of those on uh, uh, on some of our grape uh, vines have been established. But I would not hesitate. Valiant would be the variety you want to get in. Very aggressive. Good drainage, full sun, and uh, it can be a very, very nice juice and uh, jelly uh, crop for you. But again, back to the latest caller there. Uh, Anytime you see any kind of an indication of uh, fungal spores, that would be a, a rusty color or a, uh, a powdery color, uh, white powdery. Uh, I wouldn't be avoiding, I'd be avoiding the fruit if it's on a crop like squash. You can always wash or scrape that off and you're not wow. eating the outside of the rind anyway. But something like a, a grape here where you're going to be working it into a juice, or a, I would, uh, just as a matter of precaution, I would uh, avoid yeah. Uh, using any of that fruit. Wait till next year, I guess. Yeah, and oftentimes <laughs> uh, it's kind of interesting. This might have set up late. We haven't seen a lot of fungal disease because it was so dry, so we don't have the typical uh, early blight, late blight, toria blight on uh, on our tomato crop, as an example. We did see a lot of powdery mildew, so people, if they're out there uh, harvesting their pumpkins or their winter squash, uh, a real light film of powdery mildew, that's a it's a, uh, a, that's a fungus that attacks a little bit later in the season. It's uh, not real aggressive. Uh, most of the growth has actually occurred, so it probably doesn't impact the overall uh, yield or volume or quality of the fruit on, on, if we're considering uh, uh, winter squash as an example. Uh, but once again, dispose of the vines, get them deep in the compost pile. Uh, if it attacks a little bit earlier in the season, then it can be more troublesome because uh, we don't want any disease on a plant. We want that plant to be as healthy as possible. But late attacks of, of something like that, and this has come up from the south, major problem in the south. And uh, we've seen some of that this year, even though temperatures were not extreme. But we have, and we are seeing more powdery mildew. Look for powdery mildew-resistant varieties that are being developed mainly because it's become such a problem a little bit farther south here. All right, 9.51, another break, and then we're back with the final portion of the Bob Olin Show. All right, Bob, I'm guessing area farmers are out harvesting crops right now for tomorrow's uh, edition of the Farmer's Market. Yeah, I would uh, venture the same thing. Uh, tonight, <laughs> uh, t- today, tonight, and probably early tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. morning, uh, a great time to shop at the Farmer's Market because Wednesdays has been a long time since the Saturday harvest. 
And actually, Dave, I think uh, most of us folks like to bring things as fresh as possible. So many of them are up early in the morning and wow. harvesting the morning of, and uh, they're going to be very fresh. And I mentioned the fact that uh, got a lot of warm season crops. We've got a lot of uh, cukes still left. We've got a lot of um, certainly tomatoes, eggplant, uh, some sweet corn. So it's uh, it's been a good year. And right at that interface where you're bringing in the last of the summer crops and the first of the uh, fall crops being uh, the potatoes and the mature king onions and the uh, uh, certainly the winter squash. We're, we're getting a pretty good harvest of winter squash. Uh, if we get a chance, some program will talk a little bit about some of the crops our local growers will grow that you won't see in the uh, supermarket, kabosha squash being one of them. I think it's one of my favorites. Uh, actually developed in Japan, and the works come back here into the United States, some of the plant breeders, but uh, wound up a uh, very interesting squash that's available nice and sweet, and uh, if, you're, if you've had a warmer as we've had, we can get some uh, some good growth of that, and, and there's the buttercup and the delicatas, and some of these are are available uh, in commercial uh, streams, and many are not. you got to go to the farmer's market right. to pick them up, so... I bet they'll have a lot of uh, varieties of tomatoes to choose from, too, by now. Yeah, there will be. Uh, and uh, for people who want to make salsa, uh, there will be certainly some of the uh, plum tomatoes and some of the, uh, the taste tomatoes that make good salsa that is juicy. And, of course, even some heirlooms for making a good uh, good BLT. So that's coming. And I might mention uh, that's 2 to 5, of course, 14th Avenue East and 3rd Street. Then on Saturday, have a great time then from 8 until noon. Uh, minstrels are out, and it's just a, a fun, fun time. Even if it's raining, we've got a nice covered <laughs> building with a good roof that doesn't leak now, so it's a, it's a fun time. Dave. We can get to one more call here real quickly. Hi, who's this? Great. Hi, this is Bill and Brule. Go ahead, Bill. Okay, Hi, Bill. Um, I'm trying to transplant some some cedars, some very small ones, volunteers from some cedar trees, and uh, I want to get them transplanted and caged before the deer eat them. And the research I've done says... Do it in early fall or or in the spring, and I don't know what early fall is here, so I'll hang up and listen to the answer. Uh, okay, Thanks. real good question. I would say early fall is right now, and I wouldn't want to go too much later. If it doesn't make any difference to you at all, uh, I would prefer the spring. You know, there's transplant shock anytime you move these around, and if we were to take a look at the early spring, uh, I did a little work when we were at the university, and uh, our experiment station in Grand Rapids is developing the half-high blueberries. And I actually did some research there on the best time to put them in the ground, and every week you delay in the spring impacts the overall development of that particular uh, species, and there we were transplanting. So I'd go back again, and I'd, uh, I'd decide if you can do it within the next week, go ahead and do it right now and protect from the deer, as you pointed out, because that oh, yeah. is deer candy. Or uh, certainly uh, end of April, early May uh, next year. All right. Bob, uh, as usual, thank you so much. And uh, don't forget about the Farmer's Market tomorrow and then again on uh, Saturday. Farmer's Market coming up. We've got a great bulb sale our Master Gardeners are doing on October Ooh. 7th. That's going to be fun. We'll talk about that. Uh, it's a Saturday with some educational content as well. And then Great Gardening PBS this uh, this Thursday, 7 p.m. we got a one-hour show for people. going to give you a little season recap, and my uh, good <laughs> colleague uh, Deb Burns will be there with us as well. Super. Now, the bulbs, uh, when do they start going in the ground? 
Well, that's why we delayed the sale there yeah. until October 7th. We really don't want to start too early. You don't want to start your garlic too early. Right. Uh, these are spring-following bulbs. I'll use tulips as an example. We've got so many beautiful narcissus and alliums and others, and some of these are going to be spectacular. So you're looking at probably uh, mid-October this year, uh, just uh, as the soils begin to cool down and before we get any, any frost in the upper, upper layer of the, of the soil. So there's plenty of time. You don't want to go too early. But you can line up some spectacular bulbs there at, a, at the bulb sale. That'll be at uh, Salem Lutheran Church. Then we have an Oktoberfest coming up on, or rather a Salsa Fest coming up on October 17th. So we've got time to talk about all these great things coming up. Lots of stuff for gardeners. Uh, next week we'll be into fall already next time we talk to you, Bob. Yeah, it's kind of shocking, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll enjoy it. Is there another season that comes after fall? I don't think so. It's uh, good, good. We'll yeah. look forward to spring. Yeah, we'll jump right to spring <laughs> and then summer. Bob, thanks. We'll catch you again next Tuesday. Thank you, Dave.